This is Mike Lee in Black, and you are listening to Five Questions with Dan Chabelle. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Chabelle. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is actor, comedian, and writer Michael Ian Black. Over his 30-year comedy career, Michael has created and starred in TV shows, movies like Wet Hot American Summer, and a series of books for children and adults. I caught up with him to discuss his new book, A Better Man, which has a letter he wrote to his son about masculinity before he leaves for college for this podcast episode. The Sandy Hook school shooting got you interested in gun violence because you noticed that it was the boys who pulled the trigger. How do you think that teaching boys about empathy, vulnerability, and emotions overall can create a better society for everyone? One of the issues with guys, among others, but one of the issues with guys is that we are conditioned from a very early age to erect pretty strong barriers around ourselves to protect ourselves. And we're taught to project strength at all costs. And we're taught to be independent and we're taught not to complain. And while there's nothing wrong with being strong, independent and having, you know, fortitude in general, there are times when those barriers that we create end up becoming impediments in particular, because those same barriers that don't let other people in don't let us out. When we talk about empathy, one of the key ingredients in empathy is being able to kind of experience what other people are experiencing because you've been there too. And you, we don't allow ourselves to do that, to have that if the conduit for experiencing other people, um, their emotions is cut off because we've created these barriers for ourselves. So one of the reasons I talk about empathy is because when we know what other people are going through and we experience it when we acknowledge it, it makes it much harder for us to dismiss the experiences of other people. And when it comes to mass shootings or shootings in general, one of the requirements to be able to do something like that is a lack of empathy. I think if we were all trained in the art of empathy, fewer of those incidents would happen. Good point. I first heard about vulnerability and Brene Brown's viral TED talk. And then I always was like, okay, how can I be more vulnerable? And I was just curious to see the impact that would have on my relationships. Mm. So I would literally go on dates and I would just open up about some of the struggles that I've had. And I found that it built strong relationships. They would reciprocate because I almost like give them a safe space. Like if I'm willing to say that, then what do they have to lose? You know, talking about what they've faced as well. Um, how have you been vulnerable with others and what opportunities has that created for your personal life and your career? Similar to you, Dan, I have started mindfully trying to really share what's going on with myself when asked. I don't just like <laughs> tell the grocery clerk, Hey, let me tell you about my day. But even something as simple as like, you know, if, if, if somebody says, how are you? like just literally answering them honestly, that little moment can create unexpected opportunities of sharing and dialogue and vulnerability. And vulnerability, I don't think you're necessarily sharing for its own sake, but it's a way of saying like, how am I sharing my humanity with somebody? You don't necessarily need to do it by saying like, hey, I'm an open sore right now. Like, 
any gust of wind is going to feel like fire on me. I think it's a question of sort of being honest and expressing what's going on with you. But then more importantly, or as importantly, is also really paying attention and listening to what the other person has to say. I share, you know, things about myself in the hopes that it'll deepen conversations and relationships, but that has to be reciprocated. Like you were saying, like, I have to also be willing to hear what somebody else is saying. And I, you know, and I'm not always the most patient person. I'm not always ready to hear other people's problems. A lot of times I don't want to hear other people's problems, but when I'm like uncomfortable like that, when I'm just like feeling kind of like on the edge of my seat and like, I kind of want to crawl in my skin when somebody's talking to me about their problems, I remind myself that that's part of it. Like part of it is about like examining, well, why is this making me uncomfortable? And can I be okay in being uncomfortable with listening to where this person is telling me? And most of the time the answer is yeah. And I want to. And I also feel like it's about accountability. Like if you talk vocally about what you've been through, you're almost like taking account of it and, and owning it. Whereas if you don't and you hold it inside, it, it can own you. Uh, sure. One of the things that's interesting about your book is it's really about passing down knowledge through generations, in, in your case, generations of your family. Uh, and one of the things that you didn't receive was a conversation about what, it, what it's like to be a man and masculinity from your dad. What conversation do you wish took place between yourself and your dad when you were younger? And uh, how do you think that would shape you as a man today? I think the conversation that I wish I had had is some version of the book that I wrote to my own son. I think about this book as a conversation with my dad, the conversation that I wished I'd had with him as much as I think about it as a conversation with my son. Not because I'm so wise, I'm not, but because I would have liked to have heard what he had to say about these things. I would have liked it if he disagreed with me and, and to have heard why. I would have liked to have gotten his perspective on his life, on where he felt like he went right and where he felt like he went wrong. I would have just liked to have known my dad better. I feel like I'm just starting to get to know my dad. My dad's 77 now, and I'm just starting to get him to know him on a different level. Mm -hmm. And it's because I've, you know, read books like yours. I've watched TED Talks. I've, you know, been more reflective in the past several years, you know, in, yeah. in my 30s. But it's good that you know that it happened. And you did two things. You are, you know, having these conversations with your son, but you're also taking that conversation and you're promoting that conversation to a public audience because you're really creating a movement of fathers talking and having these conversations with their son. So I think that's really powerful. Well, thanks. And over the past decade, gender roles have evolved with women becoming breadwinners, earning higher degrees, assuming more of household responsibilities. How can men adjust to our ever-evolving culture? Well, I mean, that is the question. And one of the main ways I think we do it successfully is to first of all celebrate what's going on with women and celebrate that what used to be pretty limited roles for women have now expanded so much. It allows so many more opportunities for them, but in turn, from a purely pragmatic point of view, it also allows so many more opportunities for us. And like from a purely economic point of view, it is true that men are now competing against women in the workforce in ways that they didn't have to do 50 or 60 years ago. On the other hand, it is also true that women are creating more jobs and more opportunities 
than would have existed had they not entered mm-hmm. the workforce. So it's not that the pie is getting smaller in terms of like the number of jobs that are available. You know, as more people get into the workforce and more opportunities arise, the pie actually gets bigger and there's more opportunities for everybody in any economic revolution. And I think we can call the women's movement an economic revolution because it is. There are going to be winners and losers. One of the ways to protect yourself, I think, as a man, is to not only celebrate what women are achieving, but to look to feminism and the history of the last 50 or 60 years and say, what did they get right that has allowed women this trajectory and how can we learn the same lessons for ourselves? And so the way women have sort of moved from traditional female roles into some traditionally masculine roles, men can do the same thing. You know, men can allow ourselves to be more creative, nurturing, empathetic, better listeners, better teammates in a work environment. And all of those are like sort of more traditionally female roles. But guess what? All the jobs, the new jobs are in areas that require cooperation, creativity, teamwork, and The workforce and workplace of the future is much more traditionally female than traditionally male, which is like chopping down trees and digging up coal and using brawn. We as men need to look to women as inspiration. And I think we're going to do okay, not only in the workforce, but just as humans, if we do that. It's not that women are better by any means. It's that they've expanded the scope of who they are. We can learn that same lesson and expand the scope of who we are. Awesome. And what's your best piece of career advice? It can't be about the money, but it also can't not be about the money. (laughs) You have to figure out a way to do meaningful work. And if you can't do that, you have to figure out a way to make your work meaningful. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Michael. To follow his journey, you can read A Better Man and find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where he shares his political commentary, live conversations, appearances, and jokes. 